Welcome to the Now You Know Akron podcast, brought to you by the journalists of BeaconJournal.com. Each week, they will share their expertise on Akron and Summit County. Now, here's your host, Craig Webb. Thanks for joining us for the Now You Know Akron podcast. I'm your host, Craig Webb. Our spotlight topic for today is going to be a discussion with the state ombudsman who helps those residents in our state who have loved ones in nursing homes who have issues or may just have simply have a question. But first, here's three things you should know from recent headlines from BeaconJournal.com. A team of reporters from the Beacon Journal took a look at September 11th, 20 years later. They interviewed firefighters, folks who lost loved ones in the war on terrorism after the attacks, and just simple folks who remember that tragic day. All the coverage can be found at BeaconJournal.com. The start of October will be a raise for some Akron City workers. The Mayor Horrigan has announced that the city is increasing its base pay, its minimum pay that is, to $15 an hour starting on October 3rd. I dare to say the word snow and cold. I know it's just September, but the old Farmer's Almanac is out and it said it is going to be a chilly and very long winter. In fact, the old Almanac says that it may be one of the longest and coldest that we've seen in years. Who knows? Maybe the Almanac's wrong. It's only been around since 1792. BeaconJournal.com and all of our apps always feature updated headlines and subscriber-exclusive content you can't find anywhere else. We're joined today by Ohio's long-term care ombudsman, Beverly Lovebert, and reporter Amanda Garrett, who has covered the closing of a nursing home in Stowe and the impact it's had on its residents and their families. So I welcome both of you. Hi. Thank you. Now, now, Beba, I'm going to admit that that I'm I'm a typical reporter and I know very little about anything, but I, you know, I mean, we're all kind of touched by this a little bit, right, as as our parents get older. and, And in fact, I should have full disclosure I had a mother in a nursing home uh, who contracted COVID and ended up passing away in January. But I, I guess I, I guess my first question before I kind of let Amanda, you know, drive this bus is, you know, e- even we as, as, you know, kids, it was a very difficult time because we, we couldn't visit mom. Obviously, um, it was the height of them being closed. But we face this dilemma. What do we do with her with COVID? You know, and, and do we take her back to a nursing home that may not want her or do we bring her home? And in our case, we, we ended up bringing her home. Now, I would say she wasn't assisted living. So if we took her back, they really couldn't take her to assisted living because she needed so much care. And I, 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 I guess I'll just start out with just a, you know, I, I admit that, as I said, a reporter who know very little. I mean, even in this, it's all new to families, right? I mean, isn't that kind of a dilemma that, that you know, that, that you're kind of confronted by an issue that's so very complex that, that unfortunately, the, the kids know little about, right? That's right. And, you know, long-term care is uh, difficult enough. Um, and then, you know, faced with COVID and my condolences to you, I also lost a sister uh, to COVID. And, um, I, you know, it just is nothing that anyone ever expected. And as I said, you know, navigating uh, long-term care is difficult enough. Amanda, you've you've covered the the closing of the nursing home in in our particular area in, in Stowe, and and these families were just 
in a dilemma, right? I mean, what what to do with mom or dad or or, or what the next steps were, and with very little help. Yeah, Stowe Glen Retirement Village had been around 37 years, and they served people at three different levels. So it was everyone from independent living who were still doing their own thing to assisted living, who people who needed a little bit of help for daily activities, and then skilled nursing care, the people who needed a lot of help. So there were all sorts of people impacted by this. And when Stowe Glenn uh, decided they couldn't keep operating because they ran out of money in late July, they announced they were closing. And in some cases, uh, they only provided a couple of days for residents to move. So it, w- it was chaos. Yeah, it was um, very challenging. You know, we were notified um, that they were anticipated having trouble making payroll um, about a week out. And it ended up, I think it was about five days um, with all of those residents moving. And uh, it was very difficult for them to get good information and um, have time to make choices. You know, there weren't many facilities in Stowe, um, especially who could meet the assisted living needs of the residents. Um, the facility had a um, assisted living Medicaid waiver. So there were people there with nursing home level of care reliant on Medicaid and not all licensed residential care facilities except Medicaid assisted living waiver. So uh, they couldn't all stay uh, right there in Stowe and that was very difficult for them. Um, I, if I understand correctly, a lot of long-term care facilities are having financial troubles. Is that something you're running across, Bev? We have heard that um, with a low census um, because of the pandemic, you know, as Craig mentioned, people had choices to make and uh, whether to have their loved one go to a long-term care facility knowing that they wouldn't be able to visit them. Um, frequently and you know so some people stayed home longer or the short-term rehabilitation that many nursing homes especially uh, rely on because of higher Medicaid Medicare rates um, for rehabilitation and people weren't having elective surgeries you know hip replacements and knee replacements and so on that might you know have follow-up care so yeah we've heard from facilities um, and we see um, many facilities with a low census and that's uh, challenging for them uh, to be able to make ends meet and um, make sure all of the needs of the residents are met. I'm going to jump in and let people know what a census is. There's terminology in long-term care that you that I, as a daughter, had to come up to speed with, too, with my mom. And the census, census, if I understand correctly, a bed is sort of like bed occupancy, right? How many of right. the beds are filled at any one time? That's right. Yes. And yeah. um, we've I saw one study um, from Scripps Gerontology Center. They released a little bit of data um, not too long ago. And I think the average um, in Ohio was uh, in some uh, around 67 percent, I believe. Uh, and that's that's pretty low um, for a facility. Um, so every facility has a maximum occupancy or their capacity based on how many um, beds they have on their license um, to operate. And then um, they admit um, and retain people um, 
and in assisted living, they tend to be longer. Uh, people tend to be in assisted living longer because they don't have as many needs. But again, as I said about Stokeland, many of those residents did have a nursing home level of care. Yeah, I talked to the people at the Scripps Center, too, and they said that this has been a long-term problem, the census. It's been shrinking over years because people, what people want is different. They either want to age longer at home or they want assisted living, which is a relatively new concept, right? It's evolved, I think, what, over the last 20 to 25 years. And in a nursing home, a lot of times you share a room and there's not much um privacy. And in assisted living, you're usually in a private room. You might have a little kitchenette with, you know, a mini fridge and a microwave. Um, but that, that, from what I understand from Scripps, is what's um, sort of driven down the census in the nursing home a little bit, too, because people are opting for that option. Right, right. People who um, are able to pay privately um, definitely prefer a, a different type of setting. And you know, we talk about it as a problem, but for consumers, um, the good thing, the good uh, reason for um, fewer people going into nursing homes um, for long-term care is that there are more options in the in the community. You know, um, as home and community-based services. Um, have expanded, uh, you know, the state has expanded their uh, Medicaid waivers. They have uh, MyCare Ohio in some parts of the state where people can receive services in their home. And, of course, that's what that's what we all prefer um, to having to, you know, have be in a semi-private room with a roommate um, that we don't know. So, uh, you know, that's that's actually the a, a good thing. Um, but, yeah, it does uh, have consequences. And then on top of that, so you had this trend already, and then COVID comes, right? And COVID costs nursing homes and assisted living places a lot more because there's all this personal protective equipment, you know, the masks and all the other things you might need. Plus, they were facing staffing shortages, people who were afraid to work during the pandemic, understandably, and others who were getting sick. So that drove up costs. I know at Stowe Glen they said that costs went up 30 percent, but the the uh, flow of money coming into the fills, the uh, facility dropped 30 percent. So they were already on shaky financial ground, and the management company said that caused them to collapse. And, you know, and the federal government gave nursing homes um, across the country billions of dollars. They're releasing more money. Um, it was announced yesterday or today uh, that more money is going to facilities to help with some of those um, uh, costs, unexpected costs. Uh, and, you know, we as an advocate, um, as the ombudsman, you know, I'm I'm eager for facilities to give um Give that money to staff, you know, increase their wages. You know, so we heard a lot about hazard pay and facilities giving staff hazard pay uh, to help retain them. Uh, it is very difficult. And without families being able to visit uh, and when families visit, they don't just sit in a chair and talk to mom and dad about the weather. 
they do things for mom and dad. You know, they might help them with their meal. They might um, go through the closet and um, do some things with the clothing and, you know, make sure that um, the glasses and the dentures and everything are where they need to be. And without family visiting, the facilities didn't have the additional staff to bring in to fill the gaps. Um left in in having those things done for residents and um and you know sometimes even more care than that than what i even mentioned so that was very challenging and we heard complaints about delays in medications well that makes sense when you think about it if you don't have if you don't bring in additional nurses to administer medications um to fewer residents at a time then, you know, the nurse going from, you know, one unit of the building that has to, she has to take time to um, put on PPE, deliver medications, and then take off PPE before she can go to a different unit to administer medications. That all extends the time that it takes to deliver care to the residents. And Without bringing in additional staff, then, you know, we're, we heard about these care problems, um, delays in services, call lights not getting answered, and so on. And um, they're just, it, it was a very difficult year. You know, and it we continues to be difficult. I should have asked you earlier on to explain to people what you do as Ohio's long-term care ombudsman. And then also, if they want to reach out to one of the local ombudsmen or explain how that process works, what services are out there for people who have concerns, say the medications for their loved ones aren't being delivered on time, who can they reach out to and talk to? Yeah, okay. Um, well, every state is required um, by federal law to have an office of the state long-term care ombudsman. We've been around since the 70s um, when nursing homes um, developed and there were complaints um, during the Nixon administration about abuse as, you know, there was little oversight of nursing homes um, after Medicare and Medicaid became instituted for funding these facilities And so then, you know, regulatory systems developed and um, uh, the Nixon administration decided we need an advocate. We need somebody to help um, residents of of long-term care facilities and just nursing homes at the time um, with these problems that they're having. So we are independent um, advocates. We are not regulators. Uh, We're problem solvers. And so um, every state has a state ombudsman, and in Ohio, that's me. And we designate regional ombudsman programs. In Ohio, we have 12 designated programs um, with both paid staff and volunteers. We have 230-ish um, volunteers currently and always looking for more. So um, <laughs> hope to um, have some people uh, offer their time uh, to help advocate for residents. And um, then we have uh, eight, about 85 um, paid staff uh, statewide. And um, if someone has any concern at all, uh, they can call us and we'll help them navigate. Sometimes um, it is, oh, gosh, you know, mom fell and she was on the floor for an hour and um, now she is in surgery with a fractured hip and I want the state to do something about it. 
Sometimes they just want to call the regulator, which is the Ohio Department of Health. And so we help them navigate that regulatory system. Sometimes, though, and, and most times, um, ombudsmen only refer um, less than 3% of complaints that we receive um, to another agency. Um, but so most of the time, the ombudsman will go in and be, do an investigation, um, see what we can learn about what's going on and um, try to find the root cause of the problem, and then work with the facility and the resident and the family to come up with a solution to the problem. And then we check back, we follow up, and that's a great role for our volunteers to to just check back and see, you know, we fix this problem, make sure that it's still going as it should, that, you know, the resident is getting their five showers a week as planned and, you know, as resolved and so on. So um, there we get about 10,000 complaints a year. Uh, and, um, you know, most of them are about nursing homes primarily because people know about us more in nursing homes, um, assisted living, some. We also handle complaints about home care services. So if someone is in home care and they need some assistance um, with their services, then uh, they can call the ombudsman as well. And probably the best way to reach a, um, a regional ombudsman um, is to call our state office or send us an email. Our um, state um, phone number is 800-282-1206, um, and we can get you connected. Bill, I, I'm curious that, you know, great economic upheaval can be a stress test for all industries, right? And and, and this <laughs> is no exception. And I'm kind of curious, did, did this show something or anything that you have concerns of? The quality of care or just the ability to continue to care for the elderly in the future in Ohio because of the pandemic? Um, so I guess I'm asking, did we see anything in the stress test and what's your thoughts looking forward, you know, five years from now? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think uh, the pandemic highlighted some issues, definite staffing issues. You know, we've always heard concerns about uh, insufficient staffing. And, and so when you're stressed in this way, uh, there's no, you know, there's no wiggle room, really. Uh, and so there wasn't um, this opportunity to, you know, bring in other people. Um, and so it and, and we're seeing it in home care, too, that uh, we just don't have enough people who want to do the work. Um, and with our aging population, we need more caregivers. And uh, so. I was a member of the um, National uh, Coronavirus Commission for uh, Safety and Quality in Nursing Homes, and that was one of the – we had more recommendations in that report about uh, workforce than anything else. And, you know, there's a National Association of Healthcare Assistants, and they're talking about the need to really solve this problem and figure out how to attract more people to be caregivers, and um, their executive director recently said, you know, nobody wants to be in a workforce, but if we talk about a care force, people can, you know, kind of think about, well, yeah, I would like to care for someone, and it's a, you know, it doesn't pay well, and so that problem has to be solved, absolutely, um, but the staff who provide this care also need respect and they need to be treated with dignity and uh, respected for the knowledge that they have about residents, um, 
given being empowered. Uh, And so we need to be thinking more positively and gratefully for the hard work that they do. you know, where there's concern, you know, about upcoming vaccine mandates uh, and whether staff will leave. I like to think about it more positively that, you know, with with everyone being vaccinated, it makes nursing homes safer places to work. Right. Because a number of the covid cases now are staff. And uh, the vaccination rate of staff is not as high as it is for residents. And so if everybody's being vaccinated, then it's a safer place to work. I think it's interesting. And I think Amanda can attest to this. And I met Amanda's mother before she, before she passed away. But my mom was a bit of a character. I think Amanda's mom was a bit of a character. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> there was some time my mom wasn't so kind to the staff. And we would say, what are you doing? What are you, these people are here to help you. But, you know, sometimes we get older, our filters are off. And, you know, sometimes mine are off during the day, too. And, it, you know, you're, you're caring for someone who's not at their best, right? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, that they're kind right. of. They're frustrated. They're they're tired, and yeah. you know we have workers who are perhaps underpaid who are really putting up with some awful bosses in the form of my mother, you know, and and, and our parents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know it's um, the the management of facilities also I think need to um, give the that staff more respect. You know, there is in the nursing home regulations and the federal regulations. Assisted living is not. Um, regulated federally, but in the federal regulations, there's a requirement that for care planning, so every quarter at least, um, everybody needs to get together and talk about the care plan for the resident, and the resident needs to be at the center of that care plan and um, at the meeting. And now there's a regulation that a primary caregiver should be there too. I mean, who knows your mom better than the person who is helping her bathe, helping her get her meal, helping her choose her clothes each day, doing whatever help she needs. But they're they're discounted. You know, they're they're not given the time to go to the care plan meeting to sit down and say, you know, Craig's mom has this need and this need. And, you know, by the way, this is what she likes to do before she goes to bed at night. And if if she loses patience, this is what I do to help her because she loses patience because of this, this or this. So they know them better and it makes the job better and it makes the resident's life better if they can get to know one another and are respected for for what they bring to the resident. If you could see me now, I, you would see me nodding emphatically. When uh-huh. my mom was in a, assisted living, her the people who were so close to her told me things my mother wouldn't tell me, things I could do to help, too, as a daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, they were they they made or they made or broke the care for her. These people who didn't make a lot of money, but they were so connected and they, and the caregivers provide, they get personal relationships with the people who are living there. I know, I think three or four of the aides told my mom they were pregnant before they had told anyone else. That's the kind of really personal connections that are made in places like these. And the, the aides are very valuable. Right. Right. Uh, I yeah, want- 
sometimes debated. You know, you hear um, new nursing graduates, for example, here being told, um, oh, you don't want to work in a nursing home, work in a hospital. But I think, you know, in a nursing home, you get to form relationships with the people that you're caring for. You know, it's just you get to know them in a hospital. They're there for a few days and um, their insurance is kicking them out, you know. But in a nursing home, you get to have those relationships. So, you know, everybody gets something different from the work that we choose. And um, so I, I encourage people to to think about that and, and what they can get out of the job working in long-term care. I wanted to ask you what people keep asking me about, because Stowe Glenn has raised the issue in so many local people's minds, uh, some people who have never thought about it again or before. How will I know if the assisted living nursing home or wherever where my parents live could be in trouble? financially you know everyone's worried this could happen to people they love yeah you know some things to to think about and notice are you know um be around at a meal time now that people can visit more um pay attention at meal time and ask you know the resident you know if you ever want seconds do you get seconds are you um does anyone ever say we're out of supplies? You know, things to listen for, things to pay attention to. You know, we've heard so many times of, you know, staff will arrive for their shift and they'll go to the to the cupboard and, and get the towels and washcloths and, you know, take them to a resident's room to kind of squirrel them away because there aren't enough to go around and they want to make sure that their residents, again, those relationships that their residents get what they need uh, during that shift. Um, and so when we hear things like that, we think, well, why aren't there enough supplies to go around? And why can't a resident get seconds um, at dinner, or lunch? And um, so those sorts of things or repairs that go um, undone, you know, if the the trim is off um, the base molding in the room. How long does it take to get that fixed? If there's a plumbing problem in your sink, how long does it take to get that fixed? You want to um, pay attention to those things because, you know, if it takes a long time, it could be that there are issues with, um, you know, payment of vendors. And sometimes we've had vendors call the ombudsman and say, I'm not, I'm not going to be delivering food next week because I'm not being paid or want to let you know we are now on cash on delivery with this nursing home. Uh, so those sorts of things we hear about and um, start, you know, paying attention. We make talk to the health department about it, see if surveyors have heard anything. Um, but we'll go take a look and ask some questions. Um, Stowe, the city led by the mayor, really rallied volunteers to help out in this crisis. They helped residents move. They Schools came in to feed the remaining residents. And now Summit County elected officials are looking at that and saying, hey, we want to learn some lessons from what happened at Stowe in case another facility in Summit County closes. They're trying to come up with protocol. Is this something that other uh, counties should be considering? 
Well, I think all communities should care. You know, um, just because people are living in a nursing home doesn't mean they're not still part of the community. You know, with um, it's fall now or coming soon, and uh, so we're starting a education campaign about voting. Um, and because a lot of people don't think, you know, nursing home residents still can vote and want to vote, and so. We all need to be thinking about this is our community and uh, these residents, even though they're all living in a building together, um, they are our neighbors, just like um, just like the people in the house next door. So, uh, yeah, I think um, it's important for communities to understand what's going on and and um, try to help. And thank you so much for guiding us through what's happened at Stowe and telling us a little bit about what's happening in our long-term care facilities. I'm happy to be here today. It's always uh, great to get information out to people and um, encourage people. You know, our, our mission is to advocate for excellence um, wherever consumers live, and uh, we encourage people to expect excellence because really that's what, what we all deserve, um, and especially those who um, are uh, later in, in life and have done so much for our communities, and um, they just deserve the, the best care that they can get. Would you get the phone number uh, one more time that you provided sure. before? Yeah, it's one eight hundred two eight two. One two zero six. Great. Very good. Thank you both. Thank, Thank you, Craig. That's all we have today for the Now You Know Akron podcast. Be sure to join us again next week. Episodes will be released every Wednesday wherever you download your favorite podcast and available on BeaconJournal.com and all of our apps. Before we go, I have to thank our producer, BJ Lisco. And we urge you to support local journalism by becoming a subscriber. If you've already signed up, you have my heartfelt thanks. Until next week, now you know Akron.